0: What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week a look back at the NFL divisional round and predicting Championship Sunday. Plus, breaking down the big news throughout the NBA landscape. And are the right moves being made regarding NFL coaching vacancies? You're listening to episode 101 of Let Me Speak. Let's get things started. Hit that intro. coming at you here on tuesday january 23rd 2024 we are now past the 100 episode mark and we're diving into 101 the 101st episode of the let me speak podcast thank you everyone for tuning in wherever you are can thank you everyone for watching and listening wherever you are consuming this incredible podcast we had a tremendous celebration On last week's episode, Uh, thanks again, I can't stress it enough, to all of you listeners out there for getting us to 100 episodes. And of course, for that episode last week, Ben, Justin, Mike, thanks to all of you for taking the time and getting uh, those interviews out of the way. But we got to reset. It's a whole new landscape. I told you some changes might be coming, but we got to hold off on that because there is a ton of news. That has gone on in the last week, and I can't waste any time. I can't tell you what's been going on around here because there's so much. There's a ton of NBA news we're getting to, uh, some MLB, some hockey. We got so much to take care of, so let's just dive right into what everyone has been talking about, and that's the NFL playoffs. We now go from the divisional round to the conference championships, and we have our final four. But before we preview the AFC and the NFC championships, let's talk about what happened this past weekend in the divisional round with the la- the four games that we saw. And we'll just go, obviously, from when they were played. We'll start with the very first game with the Ravens easily taking care of the Texans, 34-10, to 10, the final score. Now, this game concerned me because there was a lot of rust for Baltimore, I thought. It looked like it took a lot of time for Baltimore because you got to keep in mind, that Ravens had a bye, and then they didn't play much of their starters in the final regular season game. And then, remember before that, they had a blowout win over the Dolphins, so Lamar Jackson didn't even play in the fourth quarter. So if you're really doing the math, you could say it was about two and a half weeks, almost three weeks, that you could say that Baltimore's starters didn't play the game. And you could sort of see in that first half Uh, pretty much up until the fourth quarter, that there's still a little bit of rust there. I mean, it was 10-10 at halftime. Then Baltimore only had the 17-10 lead entering the fourth quarter. But eventually, they found their rhythm, they got things going, and they were able to easily handle the Texans. Now, I've talked about the offense a lot for Baltimore, and their running attack is so good, even though I continue to stress that in order for them to take the next step. It's going to have to be with Lamar's arm, which I will get into when we get to our championship preview. But Lamar having two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, getting a hundred yards on the ground on 11 carries. Keep in mind, he threw for 152 and only had six incompletions. I mean, that is the most electric offense that is out there still in the playoffs right now, without a doubt. Um, But it's defensively that I really kept an eye on and My confidence in how good they really are, I mean, they just kind of flew under the radar the whole time because all the attention was centered around Lamar Jackson. I mean, everyone knew about the defense being good. They're always going to be good. This is a defense that was arguably the best of all time back in 2000. It's had names like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, all of these names. They're always going to be associated With defense, it was the offense that everyone always has their questions around. So now that sort of those offensive questions are going away just a little bit, you start to focus more defensively, at least in my eyes. And my confidence in them being now an elite, elite defense, it's just growing more and more. I mean, the only score they allowed was on special teams, was a Steven Sims 67-yard punt return touchdown. Other than that, Three points the entire game from that defense. Yards, 213 allowed. They held C.J. Stroud to 175 passing. Keep in mind, this was a Houston team that averaged 342 a game during the regular season in yards. They only allowed 213, 38 of them from the ground. They made C.J. Stroud look human. And I got to say, I picked the Ravens to go to the Super Bowl at the beginning of the playoffs. I'm feeling more and more confident that they will get there. But we got to talk about that game in a little bit. I will say just quickly for Houston, nothing to be ashamed of. They completely overachieved. No one expected them to win the division, to win a playoff game, and take a little bit to the limit, the Ravens. So I think the future is nothing but bright for the Houston Texans. No doubt about that. And I can say the same thing for the game we're about to talk to next, and that was the Packers. Even though they lost... To the 49ers. They were up in it until that very last minute. And then Jordan Love with a rare mistake, one of two picks. I mean, that was his first two picks since God, I can't even remember how long, but he, Jordan Love has played that well. Green Bay is a team to be reckoned with. But 49ers just squeaking by by a field goal, just squeaking by. Now, are they in the same territory as Baltimore shaking off a little rust? Sure, of course. Um, and I will say the opponent was a little bit tougher. Um, but I gotta say, this did not look like the same 49ers team. And I gotta say a lot of it attributes to the fact that Debo Samuel left with the shoulder injury. I mean, he was out in that first half and you saw pretty much up until that point, the offense wasn't dynamic. It wasn't quite moving the ball as well as they did in the regular season, uh, without him on the field. And You really noticed it in Brock Purdy a lot because there's no one who's going to be more scrutinized in this postseason than Brock Purdy. You look at all the quarterbacks who made the postseason, who were left in the postseason. They're all high draft picks. Um, You know, some of them moved around the team but Brock Purdy is still Mr. Irrelevant. He's always going to have that tag. Um, So... He just didn't look the same. He didn't look as accurate as we saw at the at the beginning of the year when he was in those MVP conversations. I mean, 23 of 39 is not very good. I mean, 252 was around his average, and he did have a touchdown. Um, But it was just accuracy, I thought, was the big issue for for Purdy in that one because he still has Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he had that go-ahead six-yard touchdown run with a minute seven left. You also had George Kittle with a big touchdown grab. You obviously have Iuke you have talent aplenty on both sides of the field. What does concern me defensively is how the Packers were able to move against uh, the 49ers defense, against Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, all those guys. Um, I mean, part of it is the Packers just have a really good offense. You know, that, that's sort of where I'm trying to draw the line, is was this more of a uh, a fumbling, I guess, from the Niners or was it just Green Bay being a really good team? I'm leaning towards Green Bay being a good team Um, because they also had two weeks off. Um, And really if we're being honest for San Fran, hasn't played any meaningful games in quite uh, a bit of time. So I'm honestly not worrying too much about San Francisco. I'm raising an eyebrow at it, but I'm not going to ultimately say, Oh, the lions are now going to beat them. And they're going to go to the super bowl because the 49ers are going to choke away everything, you know, I'm not going that route, but I'm just saying it was a different Niners team that I saw last Saturday than what I've seen in the regular season. And you hope that's just because a little of a little bit of rush, uh, Russ. So we'll wait and see, but I mentioned the aforementioned lions. Um, let's be honest. I think the world, the entire football world, anyone who watches the NFL was rooting for the lions to beat the Buccaneers on Sunday. And America got their wish. They are America's team. Detroit heading to the NFC Championship. One win away from the freaking Super Bowl. Keep that in mind. One win away from the Detroit Lions going to the Super Bowl. Um, The way I saw that game, Lions winning 31-23, was this is a team that is just filled with and playing with emotion. Like, if you put those two games that Detroit won against the Rams and then against the Buccaneers – You put them in Los Angeles or in Tampa Bay, I don't think you see Detroit playing that well. You can tell that they feeded off a crazy, crazy fan base. I thought the Bills had the best fan base out there. I got to say, the Lions might have just leapfrogged them from these last two games. So ultimately, I think the home field advantage was a true home field advantage because Detroit doesn't win if that game was not at Ford Field. And the Lions have just been showing what we've seen about them all year long. Offensively, they are so explosive. And you forget how many weapons they really have. I mentioned week after week, the two-headed running back monster and David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. But you've also got dependable targets for Jared Goff. You've got Amonra St. Brown, 8 for 77. Sam Laporta, 9 for 65. Which, by the way, I'm not concerned anymore about that knee injury. But... Goff had a great game. 30 of 43, 287 yards, two touchdowns, keep in mind zero picks. That is the key for this offense. Is don't let Jared Goff make those really bad mistakes. Now, that's one part of it. The other part is also the Lions defense. Now, they were good. I mean, this is this is an aerial attack from uh Tampa you know they they have a good offense, but they just don't have a run game. So really, they had to focus on the air attack, and they did good. They allowed eighty six yards of uh, eighty nine yards, excuse me, rushing three hundred nineteen uh, in the air in total. So it could be better, but they sacked Baker May- Mayfield four times. They picked him off twice, including the uh, the game sealer in that fourth quarter. Which by the way, Baker Mayfield's a gamer. The fact he's going from four million to maybe thirty million. This year, I mean, what a year for for uh, Baker Mayfield and that Tampa team. But defensively, the Lions are they kind of remind me a little bit of the Bengals when they made their Super Bowl run was that they had their moments and they had some good plays and had some good players. um, But they were just always hanging out sort of in the middle. You know, their offense sort of took away from what they could do defensively. So that's sort of where I put Detroit. In this side of thing, I just thought they made the key plays when they had to. And the offense continued to do what the offense did. So I know, at least for me personally, I was rooting for Detroit to go as far as they can. And sure enough, here they are in the NFC Championship. But the last game probably had the most headlines coming out of it. It was once again, Bills and Chiefs. And once again, it's Buffalo getting in their own way. And they lose to Kansas City at home 27 to 24 now I thought it was the bills time I thought it was their moment I thought offensively it's not the same Kansas City Chiefs I thought the bills had gotten rid of their hiccups and their usual mental errors that they normally do but and this is the part where all the bills fans need to uh close their ears and or put this thing on mute wide right Tyler Bass I mean I'm not gonna put it entirely on him because that game was gonna go to overtime and then who knows there we would have seen you know the new rules kind of there but Tyler Bass he misses the tire with 44 yards out which by the way I gotta say I I'm just speaking from someone who's watching the game and doesn't want to get overly critical of the kickers um, because yes they only have one job but the wind conditions were talked about so much and you saw right before the kick that it was the flags on the uh, goalposts were flying a little bit to the right so you think that Bass would want to arc it a little bit more to that left side so the wind can carry it. Now, I don't know the dimensions or anything like that, if that could have changed anything, but I definitely would have been doing that um, if I were Tyler Bass. But it's not on Bass. It's not entirely on Bass. On a list, he's probably third or fourth, if I have to say. I look at more Josh Allen and that offense. They could not move the ball like they normally did. I said before the playoffs even began that James Cook need to have a big impact. And he did in the win against the Steelers. But he didn't do it in this game. They tried to feed him as much as they can. He got 18 carries. But only got 61 yards out of it. So that was the problem right there. And then Josh Allen just couldn't pass the ball the same way that he did. I mean, he had to take on the load like he normally does. I mean, final numbers right here. He was 26 of 39 for 186 yards. And he also led the team with 72 yards on the ground, 12 rushes and two touchdowns. So the biggest thing the Bills needed to do was take the load off of Josh Allen, and they couldn't do it. Because Allen is a guy where you put the weight on him, he can't do it all. I mean, you look at Stephon Diggs. He's supposed to be this elite receiver. He had three catches for 21 yards. I mentioned James Cook's numbers. I mean, where was the support in all of this? So I just say, Josh Allen was making good throws. I mean, we've seen those throws be... Caught, um, in in a surreal way by some of these receivers. But Diggs, he had one go through his hands. I think Dawson Knox had one go through his hands. Um, Shakir, I think had one as well. Um, which also was another point. You know, the injuries were just finally piling up. I mean, that defense and that linebacking core was banged up, absolutely banged up, uh, for Buffalo. It finally caught up to them. You obviously could didn't have big play Gabe Davis uh for another receiving options. I mean, you put. The two tight ends, Kincaid and Knox, you get Diggs, Davis, uh, Shakir. I thought it would have been really good. Um, but really for Kansas City, I wasn't too concerned the fact that this was the first road game because I think once you survive Buffalo, you can pretty much survive anything, especially in the postseason. Um, but Mahomes was perfectly, I, it was the numbers that we've seen throughout the year. am not going to say this was the same Patrick Mahomes that we've seen from years in the past. No, it wasn't. Because he was 17 of 23 for 215 yards. And he threw two TDs to his buddy, Travis Kelsey. So it was the accuracy, I think, that was really, really important. That's what Mahomes did was he was smart. He was being a game manager. He was taking advantage of the field position that Buffalo was giving them. And sure enough, the Chiefs do what the Chiefs do. And they go to the AFC Championship, which is where we now shift our focus. As they once again have to go on the road. They will be in Baltimore Uh, that will be the first game at three in the afternoon this Sunday. Now, initial thoughts. Um, it's unbelievable what the chiefs have been able to do. They go to the title game for the sixth straight year. This is the first one that they'll be on the road. As I said, if they survive Buffalo and getting pelted with snowballs by fans, then they'll survive Baltimore. Baltimore is a great fan base, but they're nothing like ball, uh, Buffalo. They're not wild and crazy with, uh, some of their actions. Um, I think this has to be the Ravens' time to shine. I don't know if they're going to get any better opportunity than they are right now. The Chiefs, in my eyes, are vulnerable um, because the Chiefs have never faced an offense like the Baltimore offense. I mean, yes, they faced them in past years, but this Baltimore offense is something they have never seen before. Absolutely not. Because they are levels, Baltimore is, offensively, above anything that they have faced before. You've got the speed in the slot of Zay Flowers. You've got matchup nightmares with um, Isaiah Likely and possibly Mark Andrews, who might be returning to make it a two tight end format. You've just got weapons aplenty. Obviously, Lamar Jackson will do stuff with his speed and his running ability. So I'm not sure defensively that guys like Trent McDuffie, LeJarrius Sneed, everyone on that Kansas City uh, secondary can keep up. And honestly, there was nothing that Kansas City did this past week, that made me believe that their offense is back on track. As I said, they took advantage of good field position, not only from uh, some turnovers, but the Bills had an injured punter. So they weren't booming kicks that we've normally seen. Um, the big key for me in this game between Kansas City and Baltimore is the pass rush. I think whoever unsettles their quarterback, the other quarterback the most um, is going to be crucial. And I look at it sp- specifically specifically. For the Chiefs, I think Chris Jones and company need to contain Lamar Jackson and be able to make him win the game with his arm because we have seen teams do that in the past. And sure enough, uh Lamar, at least for this regular season, uh, has been able to go against that narrative. But you go with what what brought you to the dance, and what brings defenses to the dance is holding Lamar Jackson tight, not letting him get away, not letting him run free. So I think the pass rush has to contain Lamar in that pocket and don't let him break away. Because when it gets to that improvisation, he needs to go run and take off, anything like that, make some plays with his legs. There's very few that are as good as Lamar Jackson. I think on the other side for Baltimore's defense, I think the secondary is going to be absolutely huge because we've seen um, the connection, I think, between Patrick Mahomes and his receivers are definitely off. You know, we've seen Travis Kelsey make some drops. Rasheed Rice has come on a little bit late, but other than that, there's somewhat of a lack of trust. So I think the secondary is really going to be, um, it's going to be the big focus. I think Kyle Hamilton at the safety spot. I'm thinking Marlon Humphrey. He's probably going to be on um, Rasheed Rice a lot. So I think the big key is in that Ravens secondary. And obviously they got to stop the run too. They got to make this Kansas City offense one-dimensional because we saw what happened when Isaiah Pacheco was getting going. He added another layer where Mahomes can be a little bit more accurate and make those plays through the air. So I think stopping the run and the secondary are big for Baltimore. If I had to make a pick here on a Tuesday before a game on a Sunday – I would probably lean a little bit towards Baltimore. I think the Ravens, this is their time. This is their moment. I think the Chiefs, they can make a play or two, but in terms of what they used to be in the past, I don't see Baltimore making the same mistakes that Buffalo did to give Kansas City that opportunity. So I think the Ravens are heading to the Super Bowl. On the other side, though, for the NFC, I think this is the best matchup that could have been predicted once these playoffs began, at least on the NFC side. Obviously, the top seed, uh, and the third seed 49ers lions. I thought this should have been one and two regardless. Honestly, they're kind of the same. The the more that I, I read into their numbers and look at them, their big keys are the same. I think it's quarterback and defense. So the quarterback to start, I think Brock Purdy and Jared Goff are in the same category of they can be great when they limit their mistakes. So we've seen that when Jared Goff has multiple interceptions, then the Lions' offense is doomed. Same thing with Brock Purdy. If he's not able to get those weapons involved and move the ball down the field, San Francisco is in a little bit of trouble if that does not happen. I think really the the, the strategy for the Lions should be to try and rattle the pocket of Brock Purdy. Make him a little bit uh, nervous. That's why I look at a key guy like Aiden Hutchinson. He's been great on the defensive line these uh, first two games. I think he ne- needs to get at least two sacks to try uh, and give the Lions a shot at this. Because I think Brock Purdy, he's much different, obviously, from Lamar. You want to let him escape the pocket. With Lamar, you want to keep him in the pocket. This pass rush really needs to get Purdy moving, take away some of his best options. Um, That's really what I see with um, Detroit. San Francisco, on the other hand, I say go with what brought you the dance. You have these weapons for a reason. Hopefully, you can have a healthy Debo Samuel to get involved, because then that really opens up your offense. And I think as long as Purdy has some time to throw, and as long as the defense can get to Jared Goff uh, in the pass rush, then I think San Francisco can win. I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair, but I'm ultimately leaning towards the 49ers. I think the Lions are still a little bit young. I know Jared Goff has been to a Super Bowl, but this is a young, spry Lions team that... You know, they can say that they know the big stage, anything like that. But let's be honest, most of this roster has no idea what it's like to go on the road in a pressure-packed situation to get a must-win game. Um, I think they're going to be a completely different team that we saw at home. And I think San Francisco is just going to remind the world that we were the favorites before the season. We should be the favorites during the season. We will be the favorites once we win this game, so I'm thinking that it's a Ravens and 49er Super Bowl that we are going to see after this weekend. But the beauty of the NFL playoffs is that these picks can be wrong. So I just hope we get some really good, entertaining games, and hopefully not two blowouts that make us, you know, go make a sandwich or do something that makes us not watch this game. That's what I'm hoping to get out of this uh NFL playoffs. So conference championship weekend should be a blast, but we shift over from the NFL to the NBA, and there are news aplenty that we need to get to. Let's talk some basketball coming up next. Woo, it has only been a week, and there is a ton of news going around In the NBA, including today. Today has been just a giant news dump when it comes to uh, some NBA news. So let's just dive into the big news. I probably wish we should have had this when uh, Justin Turpin was on the show last week. But right before we started recording, we got news from Woj. He dropped another Woj bomb. And the Milwaukee Bucks have decided to fire Adrian Griffin as head coach. Keep in mind, the Bucks were... Thirty and thirteen. This was his very first season. They were sitting second place in the Eastern Conference. So, unless something comes out behind the scenes that this is like an Ime Udoka situation or something like that, I have no idea. This does not make any sense for this Bucks team. Thirty and thirteen. They're only like three games back of the Celtics for that number one spot. Are they really taking the long term? Do they really not trust? Adrian Griffin during a playoff series? This sounds ridiculous. I I can't fathom this. I'll probably need like some sort of NBA expert or whatever on this to to explain this to me, but it doesn't make sense how Adrian Griffin on a team he wasn't even the biggest problem right now. The big problem is that they don't play defense. And we knew that this was going to be an issue when they decided to get rid of Drew Holiday and bring in Damian Lillard. You're trading defense For offense, and look what's happened. Exactly what everyone expected. Also, a team, not a ton of depth. Not a ton of depth behind their top six or seven players or whatever. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Why, even before the All-Star break, and the fact that you are 30 and 13. This would be different if they were like fourth or fifth in the conference. They're second. Second in the conference. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. I don't understand why the Bucs would be making this move because really it's not on the coach. This is on Giannis. This is on Lillard. This is on Middleton. This should be on the players to get things better. What are we all of a sudden going to blame Adrian Griffin? Cause he couldn't teach Damian Lillard how to play defense. I don't get it. I, it doesn't make any sense. And apparently reports are coming that they want an established and a veteran head coach. And apparently doc rivers is at the top of the list. Okay, I don't know what difference that is going to make. I honestly don't, because they were perfectly fine. Like, was there one bad loss that I'm missing that they uh, couldn't, that was the, the breaking point, I guess, for this Bucks team? I have no idea. I mean, this will make sense if something behind the scenes gets leaked out. But as of right now, it does not make any sense for the Bucs to get rid of Adrian Griffin. It absolutely does not. Not in my mind at all. So... We go from a coaching change now to a player change. And obviously there was a big trade that happened uh, at the end of last week. Pascal Siakam is going from the Raptors to the Pacers for the first big trade uh, during the NBA season. The Raptors are going to get three first rounders and Bruce Brown from Indiana with a couple of other uh, combinations out there. I think, you know, for the Raptors to make the moves that they made, they, uh, um, they get Bruce Brown. They grabbed uh, RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly from the Knicks. You know, I think they're, they're building some good depth out there. I mean, I don't expect Bruce Brown to stay on Toronto uh, to cause, you know, they're probably going to want to buy him out and go for a championship or something like that. Um, I, don't, I don't really know about that, but I think Toronto's building some really good depth, but uh, for Indiana, this is obviously the big news because I like, the combination of him and Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I really do, because I think Siakam is more of a complementary star player rather than the guy to lead a team. And I think Tyrese Halliburton has shown that he has the capabilities to do it. So if you have him leading the way, if you have Siakam behind him, I really like the combination, especially with the depth that Indiana has built for Rick Carlisle's squad. The only issue, though, is that Siakam and Halliburton have barely played together. I mean, you got Halliburton dealing with a hamstring injury, and they just said he's going to be out for another three games. And meanwhile, you got Siakam as the lead guy. He was having some of his best years uh, for scoring. He was averaging 22 a game with Toronto. So ultimately, I think this looks like sort of a long-term deal uh, rather than for this season, because I don't think they can compete with... Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. I don't think they can do that. I think they could get into the top five or the top four. I I think that if they can get everyone healthy. But I think another piece or two, I think will get people to take Indiana seriously, because I love the combo of having Siakam at the four and Halliburton at the point guard with all the other depth that they have. Um, I think this is going to be a good squad. I really do. Um, but that was a trade last week. How about a trade? From today, the Miami Heat are making a move, and they're grabbing Terry Rozier. They trade with the Hornets. They give up Kyle Lowry and an unprotected 2027 first-round pick. Now, I probably need a draft expert to explain to me how a 2027 unprotected pick has just become more and more valuable, how these unprotected picks in two or three years has all of a sudden become so valuable. But... Charlotte wasn't going anywhere without a doubt. And Terry Rozier was just stuck there since he signed away um, back in 19 uh, from Boston. It was a sign and trade him and Kemba Walker, you know, he needed to get out of there and Miami obviously needed more offense. I mean, that was the issue entering the year. They struck out on Damian Lillard. They struck out on drew holiday and statistically they are the fifth worst offense in the NBA in terms of points per game. This is along with teams like Portland and Memphis other really, really bad offenses. So I think Rozier will bring another good complementary piece. And he's having a great year. I mean, this is his career best year. He's averaging a career high in points per game, field goal percentage, and assists. So I think this helps out offensively a lot because that's, to me, that's like a 10-point increase. I think Kyle Lowry's just getting uh, older. I I don't think he's becoming that same factor that uh, he used to be. And we even knew during the postseason that Miami can't sustain long-term with Kyle Lowry uh, as their point guard. So you put Rozier and Tyler Hero in that backcourt. Obviously, you have a healthy Jimmy Butler. Uh, Bam Adebayo is one of the top centers out there. I think they need a little bit more uh, size down low. I think they need a backup for Adebayo, and then I think they'll be a complete team. So similar to what I see with uh, Indiana, I see the same move with Miami. They can get into that top five or whatever. I think they're sitting sixth. Right now, But as of right now, I still don't see him touching Boston or Milwaukee or Philly right now, but that could change this Thursday when the Heat and the Celtics play. So, you know, that's a a wait and see sort of thing. So uh, now we got to go to last night because last night was a um, crazy night in terms of scoring and there were two giant scoring outputs that got two completely different results. Let's first talk about Joel Embiid hitting 70 points against the San Antonio Spurs. They were luckily able to get the win, were the Sixers, but that's a new Philly record. 70 points in the game. You know what the previous record was? It was 68. You know who it was by? Wilt Chamberlain. You know when that was? 1967. If you do something like that, you should get a ton of recognition and a ton of praise for that. I mean, let's just also sprinkle in the fact that he had 18 rebounds and five assists in that win against San Antonio. I mean... Joel Embiid is sending a message, I feel like. I feel like he's trying to get the point across that he is trying to be the most dominant player in the NBA. Maybe not the best, but trying to be the most dominant. And honestly, right now, with him and Nikola Jokic, I have a hard time figuring out you know who would be my MVP favorite right now. Because I think Embiid is on a great path. I think Jokic is obviously on a great path, but if Embiid is putting up numbers like this, I mean, they're still winning, and yes, it was a 10-point win. Um, You know, it might be a tag concerning that Embiid had to put 70 in for a 10-point win, but games like this have happened in the past. Um, So I think Philly is uh, not just Embiid trying to send the message that, you know, he's this top team, but I think, uh, let's just face it, Embiid's got an ego, and I, I I don't like that ego. I don't like it at all, but... It's an ego nonetheless, and he is trying to prove to everyone else that I am this good. I am this good of a player. So I think the 70 is big, have a big record. I think he's well on his way, possibly to a Hall of Fame career. Um, But we already know what's going to happen. When they get to the postseason, what's going to happen there? You know, that's all it is that we're looking at with Embiid and the Sixers is whatever they do in the regular season is nice. Let's talk about them in the postseason and what they do there. Because what we've seen is that even in an MVP year, Embiid has crumbled. So let's hold off on declaring that Philly is back and they're up there with the best until we get to the postseason. Let's just hold off on that. Now on the other side of the spectrum, though, was another big scoring output, but with a different result. This one came from Carl Anthony Towns. He had a new franchise record for the Timberwolves, 62 points, 62 from the big cat. But Minnesota lost to Charlotte. I mean, that's an embarrassing loss. And now keep in mind, 44 of the 62 points were in the first half. So if you're doing that math, that means he only had 18 in the second half. And honestly, I'm not really focusing on towns. I'm looking at what Chris Finch, the head coach, did. He ripped. Minnesota after the game. I mean, he used things like immature basketball and an absolute disgusting performance on defense. Now, someone might be looking there and saying, how would you make those comments after one of your players scored 62 instead of franchise record? Here's why. Because Chris Finch is setting standards. He's setting expectations because Minnesota is still in the top spot in the Western Conference. Granted, it's only a half game, but they're still on top of the Thunder, of the Nuggets, of the Clippers, of the Suns, of the Lakers, all these other teams that some might have predicted to finish ahead of them, now they're in that top spot. And what Finch is doing is he's keeping the standards going. So he doesn't want to discount this game as a meaningless loss, even though one of their players scored 62. He's not going to do that. He's sending a message to his team that I don't care if you guys break 100 points. Scoring. I don't care if you score 150. If we don't win, that's going to be an issue. So I like this approach from Chris Finch. He's literally taking the no days off kind of thing and no easy games or whatever. He's not taking any game for game, uh, granted. He expects and has an expectation to win every single game. And I like that he's doing this by completely ripping into the team in this loss, even though one of their players scored a franchise record. So I'm a big fan. I just became a bigger fan. And I actually found out who Chris Finch was after these comments. So props to you, Chris Finch, for laying down the law in a historic night that ended in a loss. So that's a lot of NBA, and it's only been a week. I mean, I can only imagine that things are just going to get crazier and crazier the more the season goes along and we get into the playoffs. But it's not just football and basketball that's going on. In the wide world of sports, there's so much more we got to touch on, and we're going to do it up next with our segment, Quick Hits. It is now time to dive into a couple of sub segments that we need to get to before we really wrap this show up. It's time to get into our quick hit segment. Five small topics that we got to hit to. Not as much time as we got to in the NFL playoffs and in the NBA news, but there's so much that we have to discuss. And we're actually going to go back to the NFL for this one and talk about the coaching carousel that is slowly moving around the track. We've got, we started the offseason with eight openings. And now we have five that are still remaining. So I just want to touch a little bit on the uh, places that has still been filled. Obviously, we'll touch on Gerard Mayo, as we did uh, last week with uh, Mike Cadlick. We'll touch on that a little bit more also in our Let's Get Local segment as well. But the Raiders filled their spot. Antonio Pierce, no longer the interim head coach. He's now going to be the full-time head coach for the Raiders. I am so happy that... Mark Davis decided to make this call. I am incredibly thrilled because I didn't want what happened to Antonio Pierce happened or what happened, excuse me, to Rich Passaccia happened to Antonio Pierce. What happened, obviously, there was the John Gruden situation. Bisaccia comes in and he takes the team to the postseason. I'm pretty sure he had the game winning field goal on that very last day. The Raiders made the postseason when he came in. And what did they do? They didn't take Passaccia. And you know who they brought in? Josh McDaniels. So obviously Mark Davis saw that he didn't want to make the same mistake twice. And he saw how much the players rallied around Antonio Pierce during his interim stint and thought, let's just ride it until the wheels fall off. So I congratulate Antonio Pierce for becoming the new head coach of the Vegas Raiders. It's going to be a tough division to compete with. Obviously you're going to have Sean Payton in Denver uh, being aggressive with turning things around. The chiefs are always going to be there. Chargers are a good coach away from uh, getting competitive once again. So here's the hoping for uh, the Vegas Raiders. Uh, the Titans also filled in their coaching slot. Uh, just last night, they agreed with Brian Callahan. He's going from Bengals offensive coordinator to Titans head coach. Now, the strategy I'm thinking what happened with Tennessee is they looked at the coordinators who were available, you know, You look at someone like Ben Johnson, he was probably the hottest name that was a coordinator out there, but he's still with the Lions and the Lions are still in the postseason. So they probably didn't want to do that. Um, I think they probably looked at the offenses that were elite and are not in the postseason anymore. Oh, let's go to the Bengals. Even though they didn't have Joe Burrow, they're still a pretty good offense. So Brian Callahan gets the nod and he becomes uh, the Titans head coach. Um, I don't think coaching is the biggest issue though. I'm pretty sure that uh, they need more talent and they need a lot more talent uh, from their players. Uh, you know, so that's where we're going with the the Titans on that one. I'm not seeing anything too crazy on that one. But uh, of course, the three big names are still out there. Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, Mike Vrabel. They're still making their visits. We saw that uh, Belichick and Harbaugh were doing second interviews. Uh, Belichick was down in Atlanta. Uh, Harbaugh was doing it with the Chargers. I honestly would be very surprised if, Uh, Belichick does not land with the Falcons because all signs are pointing to Atlanta. Arthur Blank is literally doing everything he can to try and bring Belichick. They're sending him a private jet and they're probably like sitting around for dinner or something like that. So what I believe is going on is that Belichick wanted to stay on the East Coast. You know, Atlanta's far, it's South, but it's not, you know, totally far on the East Coast like with the Chargers or anything like that. I don't think... He wanted to go West Coast, anything like that. And then Jim Harbaugh, he's kind of monitoring the situation with the Chargers. He sort of looks at that and is comparing that to maybe the other co-openings uh, that are there in the NFL, along with possibly returning to Michigan. So that's what Harbaugh is doing: is he's really looking around and surveying his options because right now he holds all the power after winning that national championship. I talked with it on with uh, John Lyons on a. Uh, sports map radio a few weeks ago he now has the power to choose wherever he wants to go because teams are going to him rather than him going to teams um staying though in the nfl there were two playoff teams that have decided to keep their head coaches a lot of people were saying that um if the eagles and the cowboys lost early that might mean mike mccarthy and nick sirianni were out the door but They are staying where they are. McCarthy stays with the Cowboys. Sirianni stays with the Eagles. And honestly, this could be... I think it's a... It's hard to say because the market is so appealing when the names I just mentioned, Belichick, Harbaugh, Rabel, all those names are out there and you're going with all Reliable. Now, I will applaud Jerry Jones and Jeffrey Lurie for not making these hasty decisions because Jerry Jones, we were getting implications. He would be a guy that... If the, car, uh, if the Cowboys lost their first game, McCarthy would be gone the next day, and he'd do everything in his power to go get Bill Belichick. He didn't do that. He decides to hold on to the coach that has gotten 12 wins in each of his first three seasons with Dallas. And then you look at Sirianni. He took Philly to a Super Bowl a year ago. So I honestly would have been surprised. I mean, I'm a little bit surprised that they're, they're holding on to the, these guys because... We know the market in Dallas. We know the market in Philly. They are not patient people. They want to win now. They want to win a Super Bowl now. So the fact that Jones and Lurie didn't make these changes shows me that they're not going to be enticed. They're not going to all of a sudden make a decision that will, might help in these next few years, but make a big impact for years to come. That's what I'm seeing with uh, these decisions. And plus, Lurie's already getting rid of all the other coaching staff. I mean, Desai is gone. Uh, Patricia is gone. Everyone on the Eagles staff besides Sirianni is gone. So maybe they're trying to do the the behind-the-scenes kind of thing. Maybe, you know, they still like Sirianni. Because, again, Super Bowl was only a year ago. This was a few years ago. Might be a little different. But McCarthy, Sirianni, they are staying in their positions. Uh, Let's go to hockey for this one. Um, We got a coaching change. Uh, for the New York Islanders, and it's a name that I do remember. It's Patrick Waugh. Patrick Waugh is the new Islanders head coach. Now, this is notable to me because I have never associated the NHL with having star players turned to head coaches. You know, we see it all the time in football, um, and in basketball and in baseball. We see like Jason Kidd, um, we see. In the NFL, we see um, Arbaugh, you know, we've we've seen this now and again. So I was very surprised to see Patrick Waugh become the Islanders head coach. I mean, maybe he was an assistant coach now and again. I might need a little bit more information like that. But the fact that he is the head coach um, shows me that it's sort of a different route that the Islanders are taking. And really looking at the Islanders from afar, they have talent. And front office can clearly see a path to the postseason. There are only two points back at the final spot in the Eastern Conference after winning his coaching debut. So I think what their, their their plan is, what the plan is going to be for the Islanders is to take a well-experienced player, make him the head coach, and hope that rubs off onto all the other players for the Islanders. That's what I believe is going down uh, in New York. And it might it might turn out, it might turn out well. Who knows? Who knows? The NHL season is so crazy that this could be a totally different conversation uh, a month from now. Uh, but we go into baseball now for these last two. We'll start with the uh, free agent free agency market, as again it still continues to be. I don't know how you say it. Just ice cold. Um, very limited action going on. There's still a lot of names out there, but there are a few names. That are now off the market. The Dodgers they signed James Paxton one year's eleven million, which is a low risk, high reward signing. Anyone who is going to get Paxton, all you worry about is just the arm strength because he's had those two uh, Tommy John surgeries. He's had the you know a bunch of injury problems now and again. And the Dodgers need to focus on starting pitching, so why not just add Paxton for a uh, for something? You know, I-, I think it's a great move by the Dodgers. The Pirates go ahead and find a closer in a uh, as Chapman um, after winning a, a title after a trade with uh, the Rangers. Because you got to keep in mind, Chapman signed with the Royals, gets traded to Texas, and now he signs with the Pirates. Honestly, I think Chapman's time is up. Like, he's literally only signing because the Pirates are the only one that are giving him the contract. He's probably looking at championships. Uh, but if he's not getting any offers from Houston, the Dodgers, the Braves, anyone like that, then just take whatever you can get, and hopefully you can get traded to a contender by showing how well you are as a closer uh, for Pittsburgh. But and again, I don't know if the Pirates are winning anything. <laughs> I don't know if the Pirates are going to be winning anything anytime soon for uh, uh, Chapman's opportunity to be a closer. Was um, staying in the bullpen, though, the Astros make a big move. They signed Josh Hader to their bullpen. I thought this is a great move from the Astros to bolster their bullpen. Obviously the starting pitching was something to really monitor and watch where I thought that was the issue with them last season. Um, but shoring up the bullpen, I mean, teams are going to win with a really good postseason. They're going to go on a postseason run because they have good pitching after their starters go out. And we know how starting rotations are in today's MLB guys don't even make it past four or five innings. So, you have Hater along with a bunch of other talent in that bullpen. I like what the Astros did making this move uh, for Josh Hader because he's still got some talent. He has still got some talent within him. Um, but lastly, I want to touch on the MLB Hall of Fame class is going to be announced tonight. Um, we are recording on a Tuesday, but at 6 p.m. after we have finished recording, the Hall of Fame will be announced. And I'll just make some quick notes like this. Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer definitely should get it. No question about that. The questions become... Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, and Andrew Jones. I think Andrew Jones very much deserves to get in. He's got to get in at some point. I would take this ballot rather than ballots later on. But it's Todd Helton and Billy Wagner that, to me, are sort of those fringe all-stars. But honestly, I look at it, and I see that if Scott Rowland made the Hall of Fame, then Todd Helton and Billy Wagner should be making uh, the Hall of Fame too. Wagner, one of the top uh, closers of his time, Helton was Mr. Reliable out in Colorado. I mean, he put the Rockies on the map, and I'm pretty sure that Colorado does not make the 07 World Series if not for that guy at first base. So that's how I see uh, the Hall of Fame going down. There's probably other names that are going on in there. I know Jim Leyland will be inducted uh, without a doubt. I think that's a great choice. But So in terms of players, who we have on the ballot, Beltre and Maurer are definites. I'd love to see Andrew Jones get in there. And then I think at some point we'll see Helden and Wagner get into uh, the Hall of Fame. When and where, we have no idea. So those are the topics that we're hitting on, uh, those uh, last five ones that we hit, because there was a lot to get to. But it's not just nationally that has all the news. It's right here in Boston with all these Boston teams. They are making waves as well. Let's get into all of those with our Let's Get Local segment, which is up next. <music> Our city. Now for all you Boston fans out there, let's get into all of our teams with our let's get local segment of the week. Now we didn't get to touch really on a lot because we talked Celtics with Justin Turpin. We talked uh, Bill Belichick and Patriots with Mike Cadlick. So there's a lot we need to hit on and I want to, I didn't really get uh, my opinions out there at least uh, on Gerard Mayo. So I want to say, I think it's a great hire, um, you know, compared to the market though, I thought that Robert Kraft should have done his due diligence with a Mike Vrabel still out there. So um, I do like, um, I, I like Mayo. I thought he was a, a great choice to succeed, but it's, it was really just about um, the market that was out there. You know, if Mike Vrabel wasn't on, if if he wasn't out there, then this hire would have looked that much better to say that this succession plan has gone on for about a year or so I think uh says that um the the, the fact that I'm just trying to I'm trying to find the uh the, the right thing to say is that with with Mayo the fact that this was a year away like this this was the plan from January 2023 to now you know, it's just the timeline got moved up another year or two earlier, then it wouldn't look as bad if Mike Vrabel was not out there. So that's how I am with Gerard Mayo. And I think he's saying the right things. You know, we heard him on the Greg Hill show. He said the team is going to get talent and they're going to, quote, be ready to burn some cash, which means they have the cap room. They've got the draft picks. So um, I hope, and they better, make a ton of additions. They they need to make a lot of additions. So I hope they do spend that cash. And I hope it's on some valuable, valuable players. Same thing with that third pick. I hope they do not waste it on a quarterback. It's better to take the swing and miss than to not swing at all at third strikes, which I did quite a bit. I was a I was a third strike looker with a, without a doubt. Um, But this offseason is going to be huge. And I'm sure we'll get into more of the Patriots as the the offseason goes along, but they need to hit a home run this offseason. They need to hit on their players. They need to hit on their coaches. I mean, we're hearing DeMarcus Covington is leading the way for D.C. Nick in getting an interview for offensive coordinator. I would just love a little bit of outside the circle kind of things. I would really, really, I think that that's, is the way to go. They're not going to do it, but that is the way to go, that they need to get outside of the circle for some of these. I, I really think they do without a doubt. Um so that's that's where we are on the Patriots I'm sure we'll hit a lot as I said on the Patriots as the offseason goes along but overall impressions of Mayo so far so good but actions do speak louder than words which is what the Red Sox front office found out about this past weekend because they did nothing to make fans feel better at winter weekend. First off the fact that they decide to go from a town hall where fans uh get to voice their opinions and ask questions. And then to go to this talk show with Jonathan Papelbon. I love Pap. Don't get me wrong. But to go from fan participation to just having fans sit there and listen. Terrible decision. Terrible decisions. And at least I will give front office credit. Everyone but John Henry, who is the one person I don't give credit to, at least face the music. Let's put it at it like this. Let's say that it was... Let's say you're in a class, and your class gets detention. But it's only because of one person. And then what if, at that detention, that one player person does not show up? That's John Henry. So everyone is taking it on the chin. Reslo, Werner, Kennedy, they're all taking it on the chin. Except the one guy who has caused all this. And that is John Henry. So he's taken his lumps, and he didn't want to face it anymore. Which is, you just have to sort of take your medicine. Which is what John Henry has decided not to do. Which kind of ir- which is why fans are irritated. And you even look at Sam Kennedy's comments when he uh, joined us on uh, WEEI on the weekend show. I mean, Curtis basically asked up front, without saying it to him directly, about the ownership's commitment. And you saw the fiery response from Sam Kennedy. He said, I have this quoted... If you think for one second that we are not passionate, committed, dedicated to the Boston Red Sox, you're wrong, you're a liar, and I'll correct you on it because it's total BS. Well, thank you. At least there's some kind of passion there. At least he gets fired up about this. But like I just said with the Patriots, actions are speaking louder than words, okay? So his actions, I mean, not saying Kennedy has done this all on his own, but their actions has shown you that they aren't committed that they aren't passionate or dedicated to the Boston Red Sox. Um, How about the other words that he said? Even before then, he said the payroll will probably be less than the season. Does anyone in the front office understand the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and looking for a different outcome? Because it didn't work at the trade deadline last year, and they're going to decide to double down and make it worse? Come on. Just like be honest. Like, if you're, if Kennedy's calling out the fans for being wrong and a liar, it's the front office who's being liars. They're being liars because they are not being honest with their fans. Just say right out front, we're having a bridge year this year. Instead of saying, oh, we're going to keep being competitive. Okay. Fans may not like it. I know I don't like it because this was a team only three years ago that made it to the ALCS probably when that ownership wanted to tank anyway, like they were closer than what ownership wants to admit. So I don't understand the idea of continually boasting that we are going to be competitive. We will make the payment. We will do all of this when their actions don't do it at all. So it just doesn't doesn't make any sense for the ownership to just keep opening their mouth and keep lying to Red Sox Nation, okay? Just, Craig, I mean, Craig Bressel probably looked the best out of all of this because he looked like a deer in headlights with uh, what happened at Winter Weekend, you know, getting all the scrutiny. Um, but I appreciate him being there. You know, Tom Werner sounds like a, a liar or whatever, but at least he was there. Sam Kennedy, same thing. How about John Henry, okay? All of, everyone in the front front office has their flaws, And they all have different flaws in our attacks for a bunch of different reasons. And they all come together, and they decide to spew out just a bunch of garbage, absolute garbage for Red Sox fans to take. Oh, man, what a negative segment. I mean, I don't want to get negative when talking about Boston sports, but this is how I usually like to form it. I like to go to the negative first, and then I go to the positive so that we can get into the teams that are doing really well. And that is the Celtics. And the Bruins. And let's get to those Celtics. Because even though their home streak ended and they're now 20-1 and at home, courtesy of the reigning champions, they're still on the right track. I mean, they grab back-to-back wins in Houston, then in Dallas. They don't have uh, Holiday for Houston. They don't have Horford for Houston. They don't have Porzingis last night for Dallas. Um, But yet, they still find a way to come up with these victories. And honestly, I'm buying more into what Justin Turpin is saying. Is that this team doesn't need to make uh, a move? And he even said uh, what Brad Stevens was saying was that they're not just going to make a move to make a move, and anyone they make would be similar to like what Mike Muscala would do last year, and just get in sparingly. You know, I I like the depth the way it is. Now, what does concern me a little bit is the offense. They are dipping a little bit, even though Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown seventy three points last night in Dallas would tell otherwise. Um, the difference though, is that they're much better defensively to make up for the offense dipping. I mean, keep in mind at the beginning of the year, this was a team that was averaging like 120 or something like that. Now they're at like 110, you know, they're just barely, uh, cracking 100, uh, against Denver. They had a really bad showing against Milwaukee, putting up one Oh two. Um, but defensively, they're so much better than they were a year ago. You have holiday to help that out. Derek white obviously continues to do his things Porzingis is much better of a defender than I thought. I thought he was going to be a good rim protector. I didn't think he was just going to be good defensively all around. Um, and then the pesky third quarters, man, they just keep burning them. I mean, take away last night's win in Dallas. They've lost the last three third quarters that they played against. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember who that against the Spurs, against the Nuggets and then against the Rockets. So those three games, they've lost the third quarters and they've won two of them, but those games should not have been that close. So I ultimately look at the offense and specifically the third quarter and clutch time, how they improve on that. Because defensively, I think I see no issues at all. I mean, I'm not worried about Nikola Jokic uh, getting a near triple double because no one can guard that guy. Absolutely. No one, not even Porzingis. Um, so I just I see defensively, like, they're totally fine, but it's just that third quarter and in clutch time, that offense has to be much better than they are. But I wanted to spend a little bit more time on the Bruins because I haven't really dug deep on them uh, for quite a bit of time. Um, they did have a skid, uh, a little bit of a three-straight overtime shootout loss uh, streak that they were going on. Well, now that's long gone, long gone. They have won five straight games. They're outscoring their teams 25-10. to 10 uh, during this span, including the nine four win at home against the Canadians, and I think three players you have to look at three players that are that were really the big factor in this team getting this streak going. I think the first is Charlie Coyle. Coyle has played great in these last five wins he's got he's on a five game point streak. he's got two points in each of the last three games. He's got a total of eight in these last five, and he has taken the center role. And has just run with it. He's done a tremendous job with the increased role that he's had. Second one, David Pasternak. Obviously, this guy is a scoring machine. He's got 30 goals once again. He's got 10 points in his last five games. That's five goals, five assists, including the hat trick Thursday against Colorado. So pasta is showing his scoring ability because he is, you know, regardless of who is on the team, he's the number one scoring option. And he always seems to disappear in uh, games that it matters the most. So you hope that he can do this when it gets to postseason time. But the streak that he is on right now with these 10 points in the last five, you hope that it translates to the postseason. Right now, let's enjoy it because they were really faltering at all. But I think the, the, the player that I really want to focus on is Jeremy Swayman because he has taken this all mark injury – He's taken the starting job and has absolutely put on a clinic. His last five starts, he's 4-0-1. He's got a 1-6-0 goals against average. He's made 124 saves in these starts. Okay, Swayman has been unreal. He's obviously an all-star. He should be. He's fourth overall in goals against average. He's fifth in the league in save percentage. And honestly, I'm ready to declare him the number one goaltender. Because I think Jim Montgomery has finally figured out that you need to ride one goaltender and ride him out, give him all that confidence. That's what I believe Jim Montgomery is going through. While Linus Allmark had a great year last year, it benefits to have great uh, tenders along with Allmark like Jeremy Swayman. So Swayman has taken this starting role and I think he is going to be the starter for the rest of the year. And when it comes to playoff time, he is going to be that first option. Now, Again, when we get to the postseason, you don't want Jim Montgomery to be so quick with the trigger and get Swayman out of there if he's having a bad game. You got to let him ride it out. And maybe he can do that during the regular season. You know, if Swayman's having a bad game, if he's letting up four or five and it's not even the second period, ride him out. Just ride him out. I don't know. That's what I think is going on with Swayman. Swayman has taken the starting job by the horns, and he's now the Bruins go-to keeper. And I think that's not going to change. That is not going to change at all. So I think now is the time you really have to bring up the discussion once again about Linus Allmark possibly getting traded because you could get some value at least for the defensive line for that one. So that's where we are with the Bruins and the Celtics. It's a very positive outlook on those as compared to the two teams we previously talked about, Bruins and Celtics. But we put a bow on the show. Let's wrap it up and look on the lighter side of things by getting to our LOL moment of the week. going to end the show like we always do and look at our lol moment of the week. and i don't need to tease it i don't need to preface it i think this one's pretty obvious jason kelsey for his actions his just fun nature while supporting his brother travis during the bills chiefs uh playoff game this past sunday i mean it didn't take him that long well first let's just start with the fact that He's drinking at Bill's tailgates like they're they're looking at Jason Kelsey, even though he's apparently on the posing side of the Chiefs, because we know when Bill's Mafia gets into this role, they don't want anything to do with whoever it is they're playing. It could be anyone, but they see Kelsey, even though he's supporting his brother who's on the Chiefs, they decide to bring him in. He does a little drinking at their tailgate and he's just having a good time. Then it doesn't even get to halftime. And he's already taken his shirt off. You'll see in this photo at the press box, you'll see him just getting all fired up in the press box. Keep in mind that Taylor Swift is in the same press box. And he's there with his shirt off, with the beer in his hand, just loving it, having a good time. He knows how to support his brother. I mean, let's talk about, there, there's so much more that he did. It wasn't just that. I mean, he jumped out of the press box, Into the stands, which, by the way, tells you how old that the Bills Stadium is. He jumps into the stands. He does a chug, and he gets back out there. I mean, even when he jumped out of there, he helped a little girl. I mean, even though he was drinking and partying and having a good time, there was a little girl who wanted to meet Taylor Swift. What does he do? He raises her up on uh, his shoulders. They give a little wave to each other, and everyone's happy. I mean, how do you not fall in love with Jason Kelsey? I think he's going to be just fine. In retirement, which, by the way, he has not committed to. I think if I was doing that, then I would be in retirement as well. I think the bigger question now becomes, you know, I'm going to start to feel like E.T. now and again. Uh, entertainment tonight. Is Taylor Swift okay with Jason Kelsey as his brother-in-law after going wild at a football game for his brother? <laughs> that's That's ultimately the questions that are getting asked right now. But... I just love, I love seeing Jason Kelsey uh, in that moment. I think he's had a fulfilling career. He's got a ring. Um, he's His notoriety picked up after making the Super Bowl against his brother last year. I think that Jason Kelsey is going to do just fine in retirement. And the fact that he's having that much fun, I mean, I can't even wait to imagine if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl, what he's going to do uh, for them. It's going to be him. It's going to be... Taylor Swift is going to be Brittany Mahomes. They're all going to have a party. I mean, obviously Taylor Swift is going to take her shirt off. No, but not by a mile, but I'm pretty sure that Jason Kelsey will help Taylor Swift uh, get a party going. No doubt about that. So uh, Jason Kelsey, you have earned this week's LOL moment of the week for just being your old fun, love and spirit itself without a shirt on at a very cold Buffalo Bills. playoff game. And with that, episode 101 is done of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get this podcast, make sure you are following me on all social media platforms on X. I am Joe Braverman, PVP. Just search my name on Instagram and Facebook, and just search for the podcast as well on those same platforms. Just search Let Me Speak podcast. Once again, we thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time for episode 102 of Let Me Speak. Later!